Two years ago, I recorded a podcast interview with my friend Colleen about one of the strangest church experiences I could have imagined. I uploaded that episode and pressed publish and watched what happened. I could not have guessed what would happen next. In today's episode, I take you behind the scenes of the Untangled Faith podcast. I answer some of your questions and I share some of my hopes for the future of the show. I also tell you exactly how rich I'm becoming by doing this podcast. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. It's been on your to-do list for a while, and you keep pushing it off for later. Today is a good day to tackle that bullet item. I'm talking about finding a counselor. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. They are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Before I get into the show, I wanted to let you know that I have put together a document with links to all the Ramsey Solutions related content in one place. It has links to all the podcast episodes, news articles, blog posts, employee reviews of the company, legal updates, and a lot more. I'm sending it out to my email friends and you can sign up by going to untangledfavepodcast.com and clicking on the button in the middle of the page. You can't miss it. I'll make sure there is a link in the show notes for you. Welcome to the second anniversary show of the Untangled Faith Podcast. My husband, Nathan, sat down with me to ask some of your questions as well as some of his own. Here's our conversation. So do you have any questions that you would like to ask me for the anniversary of the podcast? Just offhand. Do I have any? Yeah. Your own personal questions. My own personal questions. Before Um, you read the questions people submitted. Right, right. I I was wondering if you're like asking me that as a sly way of (laughs) finding out whether or not, you know, oh, those questions that you secretly gave me before, those questions. No, um... I guess I think I asked something similar uh, last year too. It was just what about this experience of making a podcast has been surprising and, and what about it, um, you know, has been exactly what you thought it would be. I don't remember you asked that you asked me that. <laughs> maybe I thought it and then I you didn't You maybe did it. and I forgot that you asked me. Surprising is that I'm sort of afraid of having a lot of people listen. I'm sort of afraid of success. Our dog is barking in the background. I hear him down there. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Gus. It's fine. This is real life. Yeah. I'm sort of afraid that beyond a certain number of people listening that 
it feels, uh, I don't know, like a little bit more vulnerable. Does that make any sense? I don't know. It does. Yeah. And what has been like, I thought it would be, I thought it would be fun to talk about things I'm interested in. And that is exactly how it has been. Like I get to talk about, I get to have interesting conversations with people and I get to write that down as hours worked. (laughs) This is for real. This isn't me wasting time. This is my job. Oh, I had a follow-up question in there. Uh, Aside from the parts that are obvious to people listening to the podcast, uh, that you interview people, that you, um, I mean, that's the most obvious thing that you talk to these people. uh, And people can probably assume that, you know, you're probably scheduling people and you're figuring out questions, ask them and stuff like that. But are there other aspects of, of doing this that you have found that you really enjoy that are uh, beyond those like obvious things that are part of doing a podcast or even like, are there parts of that that you found that you just really love doing those things? Yeah. I mean, there's so many different moving parts to doing a podcast. And I think that is sort of fun. It can also be overwhelming where you're, you're like finding people to talk to that are a good fit or they find me, they email me and say, Hey, maybe you'd want me to have you on, have me on the podcast. Uh, and then if they have a book that I need to like look over or spend time reading, I love to read. <laughs> so I am overwhelmed with books right now. So I am never going to catch up with all the, the stacks of books that I have. Um, but then like trying to figure out how to get it on the calendar, a time that works for everybody. Some people have a very small like window of time that's available. Um, and then not wanting and knowing that I, it doesn't work for me to do like interviews every day of the week. And it doesn't work for me to do like more than a certain number of interviews on a certain day. Cause it's overwhelming. Um, just the way my workflow works, I can't be like, I'm going to do an interview and now I'm going to figure out how to put it together in a way that's interesting for people. And I'm going to edit the audio and then I'm going to upload it. And then I'm going to make sure that I have all the assets for social media done and the quotes that are ready to share with people. So people actually know that it's out there writing an email uh, to send to people to say that I have a podcast that came out. Like there are a lot of different things and some of that is fun, but like switching hats and switching gears a lot is hard. So trying to time block what I do when has been challenging. Um, I miss writing because I'm spending so much time with all the minutia of getting a podcast into the world. Um, so I'm hoping to spend more time writing this year. Um, my favorite thing, uh, hearing from people when it's all done, that's not really part of the process though. It just feels really good. when people say, I listened to your podcast. It made a difference for me. That makes it worth it for me. I don't, but I don't mind like all the, the little pieces of it. If I could give up part of it. I don't know. I'm sort of a control freak too. And I haven't really answered your question of what I like the best. Why are you laughing at me? I'm not laughing at you. I'm, I'm chuckling a little bit because there is a gigantic pile of books in our room. And <laughs> I'm looking at it right now on the floor. I'm so sorry. I, I, it's not helped by the fact that I like took part of the bookshelf and put board games on it. So there's less space for books on the bookshelf. So that's that, that, is, too, but, true. Um, that is true. But that said, at the time that I did that, there were maybe two books in our room. And now there's like an entire bookshelf worth of books in our room. Many, many books. Um, I was chuckling because I was thinking about um, how it seems that it's it's been better in terms of like not needing to be working all the way up until like release time. That like yeah. that time boxing and just having done it enough now that like uh, it feels like you're not feeling as 
stressed out trying to get it like out the night before or whatever. Yeah. And I used to think I had to take out like every breath that somebody had in the audio. And I learned I did not have to do that. Um, I outsourced some of the balancing. I outsourced the balancing of the audio before I eat. So mostly I'm just editing for content. Right, um, right. I send to I send it in a little magic box online and say, hey, will you fix this before I edit it? <laughs> because it's so much easier for somebody that has all the tools to do that than me. So it saves time. And I made it more complicated than it needed to be before. So that has helped. So I wasn't laughing at you. I was laughing as I thought about a couple of those things. And I'm like, huh, yeah. There is one funny thing that happened uh, technologically wise this, and I think it was this year. Um, I interviewed somebody and it used the wrong microphone when I interviewed them. Like instead of using my microphone, that's right here by me right here, it used the microphone that was connected to the camera, which is on top of the, the monitor, which is farther away from me when it did not matter, like how I adjusted the volume. It still sounded like I was talking, I was far away from the microphone because I was sort of far away from the microphone and I was not happy with that. And so I re-recorded my side of a conversation <laughs> without the other person there. I just listened to what I said. I listened to them and I recorded myself going, Oh wow. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Saying <laughs> the same things as if they were there asking them questions as if we were in the same room and we were not. And Isn't I that how they remember. make movies a lot of times? Like, I do not know which episode that was. I could go back and figure it out. It's like it's like the big time. It's like how they make movies where they come back and they record the uh, <laughs> the audio after. Yeah. It, I have heard a movie with a voiceover on it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was added later where you can't see the mouth. It's like you yeah, see the yeah. back of the person, but you don't see them talking. And you're like, I think that's someone else's voice talking then. It's a good point. Usually they do have microphones nowadays. They don't actually record the audio later. I'm picturing like the 50s, I think, maybe. Back then. <laughs> there is a part in While You Were Sleeping where I'm sure there is some sort of audio added later to a scene. And somebody else is, recorded it and it wasn't the same person. While You Were Sleeping might be closer to the 50s than now. Let's not talk about that. That makes me sad. Actually, it's one of the 90s probably. So no, not yet. You can go with the 90s. Yeah, we're still closer to it. It's I'm trying close. to make me feel old. I'm right up there. All right. So we had some, or I had some, I say we, we had some people submit questions. I asked some people to submit questions. You I did all the Nathan, work. I asked Nathan to read them on behalf of the question submitters. So let's do this. The first one is really long, but it's also multi-part. So I'm going to take okay. it in chunks. Okay. Uh, do you see the role and scope of professionally trained mediators being relevant contributors inside and outside of the church? Professionally trained mediators. They go on to say, if if so, where would you see trained and skilled restoration methods best utilized inside the church? Uh, and how would you suggest engaging on the topic of both biblical and secular mediation to help families, individuals, and entire churches resolve conflict as outlined in scripture? There is a history of mediation in the church that has meant well, but has ended up not working out really well. Um, I'm thinking about Ken Sandy's peacemaking curriculum, which comes with the assumption that everyone is coming to the table, equal, equal power and equal introspection and ability to own their own part of the issue. And that is just not how things work often. And so I think there's a better understanding of power dynamics now and how 
the idea of everybody coming to the table together is really diff is really difficult when you have that power differential. So I think I think we need a better understanding of what it means to have mediation. I, I think mediation is fantastic, but I think the person would need to be very well uh, trained in regard to power differentials and trauma and abuse and all of those things in regard to the, and also theology to make it work. And that that's a big ask. Um, it is a dream that that could exist and that our churches would take uh, initiative to use those things instead of trying to do it themselves. I think the trying to do it themselves mm -hmm. thing ends up in a bunch of people that don't have any skill or training uh, trying to handle a situation that they have no business trying to handle. And I mm -hmm. think it ends up worse than before because there's the assumption that everything is just a misunderstanding and not everything is a misunderstanding. When you have abuse involved and you are trying to bring peace uh it it's tricky and it's not always called for it's not always called it's not appropriate to say hey i know this person mm -hmm. abused you but we're just going to you know sit together at the potluck eating banana pudding together and be friends as i'm listening back over this i'm hoping i answered the question that was asked but i want to clarify here that um, there, I think there is a need for people in all these areas to understand the difference between just a difference of approach and style and a difference of agreement and actual abusive behavior. And I think that is part of the question that needs to be answered. Um, and also a really big important point is that when it comes to mediation, I really feel like more and more we are seeing it is really very difficult, if not impossible, for an organization to do that mediation themselves for people in their own community, just because of the power dynamics and relationships involved. It seems like the best way to handle these sorts of things would be to ask a third party to be over the mediation. Uh, they did a follow-up question here, and I'm not sure it's necessarily directed to you, yeah. um, because it it says if there are fellow mediators out there, what are they doing, and what have they found successful to break through toxicity and polarization in the church? And then a thank you for your work on here. Oh, thank um, you for thanking me. You're welcome. Um, I have not researched into what all who all is out there in regard to mediators, but I I think that there are a few organizations. I'm not going to mention any by name right now, just because I'm going to go back and look before I publish this episode to see what is out there. Um, yeah, I don't know for sure. I, I you know I'd mentioned the peacemakers, the peacemaking book. Um, I had somebody on the podcast who actually came out of that church that where that author was like the peacemaking church. And he had gone on somewhere else, I think. And it wasn't, they, they weren't even making able to make this process work. And I think the author, Ken Sandy, I think I've heard that he is reevaluating sort of how he does that. So I'd be interested to see what comes from his reworking uh, his ideas in this whole process. Like, okay, maybe I thought that was going to work, but we need to look at this in a little different mm -hmm. way. Uh, next question. 
outside of being committed to historic creeds, what would you like to see the American Christian Church embody in the future? That's a dream. Um, I would love it to be less tied to politics. <laughs> <laughs> less tied to politics, more tied to uh, a spiritual formation that says, how can we look and act more like Jesus? And I know that's like, sounds like pie in the sky, but I think the focus on how many people can we get into the church has ended up being a goal that sounds really great. But in the process of trying to meet that goal, we've done a lot of things that we shouldn't have done. And I say we, because I've been involved in some of those things where mm -hmm. if you think you have a good goal and we, you know, read this in the way of the dragon or the way of the lamb that we, we, we excuse a lot of things because we say the end goal is really good. And so I think if our goal is really spiritual formation and following Jesus and looking like Jesus, uh, it's hard to trample people on the way to looking like Jesus. Right, right. And I know that's harder to map to, to measure. There's like that numbers involved and like how much of the fruit of the spirit are you exhibiting this month, Nathan, as opposed to last year? I see you on the scale, you know, peace is a little bit higher, but your self-control, you know, I don't know how we, I don't know how we measure that or if we should. Uh, no, that makes perfect sense. And it is, it is much harder to quantify like Jesusness on a scale. Like, yeah. so it is a much harder thing to say, Hey, we've got a 22% increase in Jesusness in our, in yeah. our body. Yeah. I think if we focused more on caring for our communities in a way that Jesus would without any like strings attached, like that we need to put a sign up that says this community has been cared for by the community church on the corner. Um, you don't care about who gets the credit. Uh, you just care for them. And maybe it's a success if they never even show up at your church. Yeah. Is that okay? Are we okay with that? It's so hard when, when your success could be something that you never even know about. And that could be the whole goal is things that you will never know about. Now for a quick break. Now back to the show. Uh, do you hear much about personality testing like Enneagram or spiritual gift testing being used to isolate or exclude people from faith environments? Uh, this person's curious because both were used to exclude and isolate them. Mm. I can see how that could happen. Um, I think it's tricky because people have strong opinions about uh, personality theory, whether they like them or they don't like them or if they feel like they're good or not. And so if everybody is talking about something that you are not into or you feel opposed to, Think it would be easy to feel excluded yeah i think it'd be a really tricky thing as a as a leader to navigate that um in a way that didn't make people feel excluded especially if you were going to use these as a tool um with everyone that with the way you talk and the way that you lead and the way that you interact with people uh, i'm even thinking like you know places that do like disc personality tests like, what would you do if somebody was like, I don't really do DISC? And you are part of that community. 
What about even beyond that, like making decisions about what people are allowed to do based on their score on this thing? Well, really, we're looking for someone who's more of a nine to do this and you're not a nine. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. So let's say this isn't somebody that this isn't talking about whether people agree or disagree with the personality theory that's being exposed, whatever the word is, espoused, Mm -hmm. shared, whatever the theory is. Let's say people are like, it's fine. It's a tool. We're going to use it as a way to help us as much as it can. But if somebody uses it and says, Nathan, I know that you identify as a Enneagram nine and you on the disc, you're a really high S. And what we really need is somebody who has a lot of passion for something and a lot of energy in this. And we've decided because of the test that you took that you aren't going to be able to do X, Y, Z. I think that's probably not a great way of deciding who is good at different ministries. And I think that we can exclude a lot of really great people from things when we have stereotypes about what kind of personality is best. Is it always the high energy extrovert Mm-hmm. high achiever that's going to be the best person for the the lead role? Maybe, maybe not. When you exclude the people that are more introverted, you exclude, you miss a chance of being able to minister to people that take in things a whole different way. So I have not experienced it personally, except for I see like, well, a lot of events are set up in a way for a certain sort of personality at churches, right? <laughs> As an introvert who does not love mandatory fun time, I, I get that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, not not saying that anything in particular here is mandatory fun time. I just don't enjoy mandatory fun time. I think um, one of the most, the places where I see most happening where people are excluded, and I don't think it's meant purposefully, is in our youth ministries in churches. It's very much set up for the person that wants like the high energy super gregarious, like jokey pranks and all the things like that. It is, it's set up for the person that loves, loves that thing. And if you don't, it's sort of tricky. Mm -hmm. Not every church, but it's pretty overarching theme in youth ministry. It does seem that way. Yeah. Yeah. So making a, a podcast about abuse and faith and faith adjacent communities takes a lot of guts. What things from your background prepared you to first speak out against Ramsey Solutions, then to subsequently make the podcast? And did your education or past jobs influence your decision to speak out and continue to cover faith communities? Or would you say that it was more of a spiritual calling or both? They said I had guts. It takes a lot of guts. They did say you had guts right at the beginning. (laughs) Sometimes I don't feel like it's that that takes that much guts. And then other times I do feel like, oh, I just did that. I just did that. Um, I would say what prepared me was what we went through before speaking out, really. Just sharing our story when I wrote on the website, on my blog about why you left. And I hadn't even shared all the details. I just was a little more clear one year after you left. And then experiencing the repercussions from that. Living through that, coming out on the other side, Uh, And realizing, I think we've experienced the worst that can happen. And then realizing that it was more important to speak and risk 
the worst that could happen than to be quiet and be safe. That's sort of how I felt about it. It felt like there was, the stakes were high. Uh, People are being misled and I just couldn't sit back and be quiet. I think that just always been a part of who I am. You know, that question of like, is there something in my past that has this always been who I am? Have I always been a person who spoke up? Um, I was voted the most shy kid in school in first grade. (laughs) I used to be very, very shy and not speak to anybody. Um, Painfully shy. At some point that stopped. That that stopped. (laughs) Um, I talk about things I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And... I always have, and I have had a passion for a long time about the health of our churches. I just was quiet for a while when we were at Ramsey. I think it's interesting too, uh, thinking about like what happened to us and like looking at it and saying, oh, I think that's the worst that could happen. And I think it's interesting because the worst that could happen to us was probably not as bad as what could happen to someone else. And I think it's, it's, it's partly, um, you know, like we didn't end up NDA. We didn't end up in, um, like eventually we got to a, a situation where we weren't really in a spot where, uh, we were going to be able to be like forced out of our job or something like it, bad stuff happened and it was pretty bad stuff. Yeah. But I feel like the way that everything had lined up there that, yeah, I mean, the worst that was going to happen to us, it felt like it already happened. Yeah, I mean, and the worst thing and, that's and happening it, now and, and probably looking... is that they are saying things about us. Yeah. Like warning people about us, saying we're bad people out to destroy them. And they've been saying that for a while. Yeah, and the the legal letter forced us to kind of look at it and say, okay, well, where, what did we agree to? And kind of forced us to look at that in a way that, you know, we've been just living our lives. Like we hadn't really been looking at it that deeply. And all of a sudden, like we did look at it and we're like, oh. There's not actually a whole lot here. Yeah. <laughs> so. like, well, like saying that we had agreed to, that we were still held by the policies and procedures of Ramsey Solutions. Like, huh, that's interesting. Whatever that means. So we went and we go, we look at it and we read it and we find out what all it means. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. We decided I, that we were in compliance with anything that we were legally obligated to comply with. Yeah. It brought a lot of clarity is what yeah. it did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some days I I'm nervous about getting a knock on the door from a stranger. I don't think yeah. that's ever going to go away. Anytime someone comes to our door that we don't know who they are, I am going to first wonder if we are being served legal papers. I just don't know that will stop ever. I now just assume it's a solicitor, which is probably healthier. But there's a lot of <laughs> solicitors lately. Oh my yes. goodness! Yeah. Well, you, there was a question here about whether your education or past job influenced you at all. I'm a psychology major. I have my undergraduate degree in psychology. I don't have a graduate degree. Um, I had a minor in counseling. I don't know if I declared the minor. I took all the classes to, t- to get the minor in counseling. And I worked in I worked in HR for a while. Um, so I think knowing some of those things has, have helped me. Um whether it's been a lot more helpful than any other thing. I, I don't know. I think it's in, it is interesting though, because I think a lot of the, uh, the topics you touch on are things that you have been interested in ever since you decided to go into psychology back. 
before college or during college. So it's definitely been a lifelong interest. And then the HR stuff really has been quite helpful (laughs) just to have that perspective of someone who used to work in HR and at least was familiar with um, relevant processes and procedures and laws and stuff. What you can say, what you can't say, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The podcast logo looks so interesting. What does it mean? (laughs) Okay. What does it mean? What does the logo mean? Okay. I looked at different logos and colors. I decided colors that I liked. So the colors mean nothing except for I like those colors. Um, But I was talking with my friend who is a graphic designer whom I asked to help me with it. Her name is Jen, Jen Brookman. Go look her up. She's amazing. Hire her. And she, I talked through different ideas of what I liked and she's like, Hey, I kind of like this. And that's how it came to be. It's just sort of a infinity of a knot there that, but yeah, it symbols that like untangling something's tangled up. Um, and it's like a visual representation of that. Oh yeah. That's a really good knot. Oh, thank you. Thank Jen Brookman. She's awesome. Do you make a lot of money podcasting? <laughs> What do you think? Oh yeah, we're. <laughs> I just well, did our taxes because we did it. We just did our taxes a couple weeks ago before the tax deadline, right? To see like income and expenses for the podcast. So if somebody thinks that I'm making a lot of money podcasting, I can tell you I've done the math and in the calendar year of 2022. We ended up spending uh, a little less than $200 more than was brought in. So we're not making money. (laughs) We're not quite breaking even. So how does that work? Well, you know, we fill in the blanks ourselves. But I mean, that's not so bad. It's actually not terrible. Um, Some people don't keep track of how much money they're spending and end up spending too much. But like. I spend money on hosting the podcast. I spend money on the website. I spend money on somebody that helps with editing, uh, a graphic editing tool. I use Canva. I spend money on uh, my email, like, like the, the backup of the website. So that it doesn't go away like learning different things, different tools. They, they cost money books that I, I don't, not everybody gives me a free book for things. So I buy books. Um, there are a lot of things I spend money on. So people that help support the podcast have made it so that it's, it doesn't cost us, um, $400 a month. So that's been, it's been great that it's been so close to breaking even. And I think it's well worth it. Like I'm, I'm excited whenever I hear about people, who have been positively impacted or, or who um, go back and listen to some of the old ec- yeah. episodes. And, and so yeah. I'm just really excited whenever that I mean, happens. I would love to have more support for the show. So if you want to support the show, sign up on Patreon and I'll give you access to all the bonus things. Um, but I mean, that's not the primary motivator of doing it. It is money though, will help it continue to go continue to happen just because it takes a lot of time and resources to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I've been trying to keep track of the hours that I'm spending so that I am not overextending myself. 
so what is a highlight of your second year of doing the podcast? Well, I would say a really big highlight was the Restore Conference last spring. I think it was in May. Getting to meet people in person that had been listeners. That was so fun. It was uh, seeing people that have been on the podcast that I haven't met in person before, like Kat and Colby, um, and getting to see uh, Celeste Irwin in person. And, you know, there are so many people, Allie, who is going to be, Allie from Bruised Faith, she is going to be on the podcast soon. And there were other people. It was so great. You know, just getting to see people that I, you just don't know when you make a podcast and it goes into the world, who's listening. Sometimes people tell you they're listening. and Sometimes you just don't know. So that was so fun. I think the other highlight was uh, having Boz on the podcast. That was fun. Getting to interview Boz Chivijan. Even more recently, like conversations that I've had with, like Lorianne Thompson was just on a couple weeks ago. And it was so powerful and so encouraging for me. That was a highlight, even though it was like the very end of this year of reminding me like, what do I like who I'm becoming? Am I taking care of myself? And can I, is what I'm doing now sustainable for the long run? And if it's not, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to change that? And it was such a great conversation for people in this space. So, so good. I got so much great feedback on that. So thank you, Laurieanne. So great. Um, do you have any exciting plans for year three? I am planning on doing a, a, at least a couple of podcasts for Mental Health Awareness Month. Haven't done that before with Allie from Bruised Faith, and I think it's going to be really, really great. I would love to do uh, some extra bonus episodes where we watch some uh, Christian movies and uh, kind of deconstruct them for fun and just something sort of lighthearted. I want to add some lighthearted things into the mix, and I'm trying to think about how that will work. Um, I also want to keep working on doing the book club. We are finishing up The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, but I would like to do more reading together with listeners and invite authors on to our book club conversations for, for those folks. I think that would be really fun. Hey, would you like to watch a crazy Christian movie with me and talk about it for the podcast? I started watching Left Behind this last week. I was going to say the closer we can get it to being like a B movie because I love bad movies. Well, that's what I'm talking about. So if we can have the intersection of like Christian movie and also bad movie, (laughs) like bad Christian movies. If we could get our hands on uh, Thief in the Night from way back in the day, I would love to watch it and like do like a mystery science theater thing where we (laughs) give our little commentary on it. So where else have you been appearing? Because I feel like I'm interviewing you, but I don't know that I'm your favorite person to have interview you. I'm hoping (laughs) I am. But I have a lot of competition lately. Yeah, I've been on some other podcasts. I have been, that's one of my goals for this year um, for 2023 is to just talk to different podcasters. I have been... Um, there's a couple podcasts that I have recorded for people that have not come out yet. And one is with my friend Sue called, she has a podcast called welcome heart. And she talks a lot about hospitality. That's going to come out later this year. I also did a podcast interview with Angie Elkins from chatology. 
She is part of the Ivy Media Group. She's just now moving over to run the podcast network for Lifeway. So it's very exciting for Angie. That one has not come out yet. I am going to be recording with Tim Whitaker from the New Evangelicals. He just had Carlos Whitaker, no relation, on his podcast. (laughs) So I'm going to pretend like Carlos opened for me. That's something John Acuff would say. So Carlos is opening for me on the New Evangelicals. I'm going to be on that. And then I was on uh, several other podcasts um, uh, this past year that I will... I'll link in the show notes. People can go and listen if they want. What is your least favorite thing to have show up in the audio that you don't expect? We were talking earlier about lawnmowers, but. I think the hardest is when there's not, when the audio is all over the place, like it's really loud and then it's really quiet and then it's really, so it's harder (laughs) to balance. And that is mostly taken care of by my editor I send it to. Ah, yes. But if it's not, or if I don't have time to send it to them, having to be like, okay, I have to take this one part out and make this part louder and put it on a different track (laughs) so that this track is at this level and this part of the audio, like that's my least favorite. Or if I have only one track with everybody's audio on it together and we're talking over each other and there's just no way to isolate that. I can't like untangle those two (laughs) audios from each other. So. Is there anything you wish that I had asked you, which is that great Um, like end of interview question when you're interviewing a employee, potential employee? No. um, Is it what I'm going to ask you? Is my podcast what you thought it would be? Has anything about it surprised you? I will say like when, when it, when you first started, you went from, deciding you were going to do a podcast to like putting out a podcast that was really, really like polished and pulled together way faster than I expected. But I shouldn't have been surprised because I've known you (laughs) for a long time. And like when you decide you're going to do something, you're going to do it right. So like, um, like from like the first couple episodes, like getting into it, um, like really good questions, really good people on like, and, and doing everything yourself, like learning how to do all the editing and everything. It was so impressive. Um, so I shouldn't have been surprised. I think I was surprised at how quickly it came together into like such a polished thing that there wasn't this, like, it didn't feel like there was this really long figuring it out period. Um, I think that was, I was before I and before still I published. am very impressed with you. What? You're very impressed with me. I well, think yes. that ramp to figuring it out happened before I published. I think some people would have probably done it earlier, but I was like, these are all the things I wanted to have in place and ready to go before I started. Well, and you had you had a whiteboard up that said, this is the date I'm going to do it. And this is what has to happen ahead of time. And you just like decided that this was going to be your job now yeah and uh and so you just started putting in all the hours to make it happen and then it just happened according to the schedule and i was just blown away and again i shouldn't have been but it was I probably pushed it off a week or two from the original yeah i mean there's a little bit of a delay i think but um but still it wasn't a someday i'm going to do a podcast it, it was a i'm going to do a podcast <laughs> and i'm going to do it by such and such a date 
Plus or well, minus. I, that's it. That's my problem is I told people I was going to do it and then I had to. And once I interviewed somebody, I really had to do it. So. No, it's it. It is really, really good. Um, yeah. Thank you. It is really, really good. Before I sign off, I wanted to share some of the numbers in regard to the most downloaded episodes of the podcast. As of the time of this recording, there have been 257,672 downloads of the podcast. My biggest month for downloads was January of 2022, when I had over 18,000 downloads. That was not a normal month for me. That was a lot higher than usual. Episode 17, um, which was part one of our Ramsey story, is the most downloaded episode of all time. It has over 7,000 downloads. And in the second year of the podcast, this year, that just wrapped up, the episode with the most downloads was episode 43 with Gretchen Baskerville, in which we talk about what the church has gotten wrong about divorce. Thank you so much for sitting with me as we have conversations that have helped us make sense of things that have seemed senseless. Thank you for being the red flag detectors who care about making our faith communities more healthy and look more like Jesus. I couldn't do this without you. I wouldn't want to. I also want to give another reminder that you can go to untangledfaithpodcast.com to sign up to get that PDF I mentioned at the top of the show. I've compiled 60 links for you all in one place of all things Ramsey Solutions related. I think it will be really helpful for those of you who have been following what's happening there and are trying to keep things straight. If you're on social media, I'd love to keep this conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm Faith Untangled on Twitter. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.